Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also uh, Dave Ramsey, SmartVestor Pro, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week exclusively on Friday afternoon, so now you can find us on uh, moneymd.net, you can listen to us, or iTunes, up every Friday. Yeah, yeah. and on the, the website, Steve, on the right-hand side, there's a button that you can click, and it has uh, access to all the uh, the podcasts uh, from a historical standpoint, and they're all uh, categorized with different topics and so forth, so very easy to listen to the Money Doctors. Yes, very easy to find previous shows, so you know, go back and pick out your favorite topic and the money doctors have talked about it. Yeah, we had a good one about mattresses a couple weeks ago, right? <laughs> we did. We got a little bit of laughing fit. We're yeah. not going to let that happen today, though. No, we're, we're not. We're going to be much more serious today. Just a little bit more. Hey, you can also reach us by email at info at moneymd.net, um, and you can do that directly, or you can go to our website, uh, moneymd.net, and you can just link to us there and send us your comments and questions, and we will oftentimes address those on the show, so mm-hmm. we'd love to hear from you. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for the day. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about the election once again, aren't we? Yeah, we have our crystal ball today. We're good. We're Shaking good. it up and, you know, that, that magic eight ball that comes up and gives you the answer. We're going to tell you what's going to happen to the stock market. <laughs> Here you go. So yeah, tune that in would, for that. That'll be an interesting one. You're right. Yeah, no doubt. We've well, got our crystal ball polished so much, up. Yeah, there's so much negative energy out there. We're going to kind of look back at history a little bit and, I think, put people's fears at ease maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about what what uh, investments have done during election mm-hmm. yep. cycles, and uh, that's a very enlightening topic. And then we're also going to look at storm damage and insurance. What's really covered with your insurance? Um, you know, this is interesting because it's not what you think. I mean, there's a lot more subtleties about your insurance policies when you're talking about storms and and different coverages than you think. So you want to pay attention to that because this could be expensive if we get hit with another hurricane or something. Yeah, most of those subtleties are not in your favor. Unfortunately, they're in the insurance company's favor. So you need to have some idea of what's really covered with your policy. So pay attention to that. But we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Social Security office. And, uh, Steve, you know, back in um, beginning in 1975, there uh, began adjustments to the Social Security amounts on a monthly or an annual basis. And they're pegged to the, the consumer price index. There's only been three times in those that number of years that there has been no cost of living adjustment. Um, good news is, is there will be a cost of living adjustment in 2017. Great. Yeah, I'm positive hey, here. Big one? Yeah, uh, po- uh, the negative is, no, it's not a big one. It's 0.3%. 0.3%? Yeah, it's like 12 bucks a that month sounds or like something. my raise last year, John. That's <laughs> horrible. It is not good. They, they, they have it tied to the Consumer Price Index, um, which, you know, it depends on how you calculate that, which will drive 
the inflation number, and they're just saying that there's not much inflation. I think most people we talk to says that's that's not true when you look at the medical cost. Right. I mean, a lot of right. older people are hit tremendously by medical costs. So point three percent. You know, not not a lot, not not a big raise for 2017. Not a big raise. I guess gas prices maybe have kept it down. I don't know yeah. what they throw into that basket, but it's obviously not recognizing. In real life for a lot of people no, it's, here. It's, it's minimal. But no. we have had amazingly low inflation, and that's, that's, of course, terrible for interest rates and savings, you know, on interest, interest rates with savings and, and also with growth in the U.S. Um, you know, there used to be 3% inflation was the target mm-hmm. for good growth, and now, you know, we've had less than 2% here for years and years. And 0.3% for Social Security. Yeah, so that's not, not good news. Kind of weak. All right. Well, let's try to get into something that's a little bit better news here. Maybe uh, maybe not. <laughs> the presidential election, <laughs> the really? The presidential election. Okay. Tell us about it, John. Yeah, so this, this article is out of American Funds and a uh, really good perspective. And, and so the question that we're getting a lot, Steve, is is how will the presidential election affect your investments? And in short term, we know there, there likely will be volatility, but long term is the way you got to look at this. And, you know, we're surrounded by headlines, commentators debating the political party, um, you know, looking at which one's going to be best for Wall Street. And some voter, voters obviously have strong opinions on how the economy will impact, um, you know, will be impacted by an individual candidate, um, you know, but it, it is better to simply sit on the sidelines. Some people are saying sell out, you know, get on the sidelines. But, you know, if you look at a past election years through a perspective of a long-term investor, it tells you something different. Right. And so that's what we're going to dive into is there will always be short term, you know, volatility and so forth. But over the long term, that's what you have to focus on. So, you know, keep in mind that, um, you know, these type of events have been constant uh, throughout history. When you look at presidential elections and presidential candidates often draw, you know, the attention to a lot of the challenges that face the nation, everything from economic policies to immigration and, uh, you know, campaign rhetoric tends to amplify the negative. So these concerns can certainly raise uncertainty among investors, and we see that and we we hear that right now as we come up to this presidential election. Yeah, there are always big concerns out there, and there's always a lot of uncertainty in in the economy and in elections and in political mm-hmm. events surrounding elections. I mean, for instance, 1968, um, Richard Nixon and Hubert Humphrey faced off against the backdrop of the Vietnam War civil rights protest and the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. Fast forward to 2008, Barack Obama, John McCain were debating the worst economic crisis in decades, if you remember, the, of course, the great, mm-hmm. you know, great financial recession. recession. Um, you know, these political events can understandably distract investors and cause us to worry, you know, about the economic future. But the question is, are those concerns really valid? Do those really affect the stock market going forward? Yeah, and Steve, and, and so short term, you know, there's, there, there may be some blips in the coming weeks depending on who wins. But, you know, if you consider the historical performance of the uh, Standard & Poor's 500 index over the past eight decades, 80 years, in 17 of the 18 presidential elections, a hypothetical $10,000 investment in this index um, made at the beginning of each year, election year, would have gained value 10 years later. So 17 out of 18 10-year periods made money. Almost every period. That's right. right. And, and that, that's regardless of which party's candidate moved into the White House. 
And in 14 of those 18 10-year periods, a $10,000 investment more than doubled. 14 out of 18 over that 10-year period more than doubled. So the odds are vastly in yes, favor if they you are. stay in regardless of all this hype that goes on in, with elections. That's right. And, and in a couple cases, Steve, we saw that they actually tripled. Um, now, that's a lower you know, odds, a lower chance, but it has happened. And obviously, past returns don't guarantee future results, but history has shown the value of investing despite election year fears. And I mean, for instance, in 1936, the U.S. was in the midst of a Great Depression. Uh, Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt, he won the election, and a $10,000 investment made that year would have grown to more than 22000 by 1946. So that would have more than doubled. You think about that time period. I mean, it never feels good. Typically, there's always negative news out there, and yet the markets historically have gone up. That's right. right? That That was the Great Depression. That's right. And Republican Richard Nixon was elected in 1968, and the next decade included uh, the U.S. invasion of Cambodia. Uh, We had very high inflation. Obviously, we had the resignation of the president. However, during that decade, a $10,000 investment would have grown to over $14,000. So not not doubled, but it still made money during that 10 years. So, you know, a lot of negative things going on out there. A lot of people don't feel good about the markets. Um, But if you look out into the future historically, uh, it's been – it doesn't matter who's in the White House. That's right. You know, interestingly enough, the only negative 10-year period out there – was actually one of our most optimistic times. Um, mm. If you think back to the year 2000, you know, we had the great tech boom that was going on. Um, George Bush took office after the 2000 election, which began the so-called lost decade for mm-hmm. stocks, mm-hmm. which is amazing because, I mean, I remember back then there was the most optimism out there you'd ever seen. The stock market had just gained 30% a year for almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we had tech stocks that were just just taken off everybody thought this was a new economy and it was so optimistic yet we went through 10 years with the lost decade the s&p 500 posted a negative return for that period and but it did include two seismic events of course the dot-com crash in 2000 um which was catastrophic for, for technology stocks and then also the financial meltdown in 2008 you know the great yeah. recession also had 9-11 in there that's right. As well. That's right. That was part of the, the dot-com crash in 2000. Yeah, in contrast, the biggest election year return would have been 1988 when George H.W. Bush won office. $10,000 would have grown to $52,000 yeah, 10 sure, years later. I'm sure everybody was predicting that too, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it was no – and that was a pretty – that wasn't a real optimistic period, actually. I mean, we had, you know, the SNL crisis right. in the middle of that. That's right. Um, you know, we had just had the, the big drop, the October 19th, October 19th drop, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. in 1987, the huge drop in the stock market. You did have Al Gore created the Internet, though, right? That's true. That's probably what That's started probably what it. Did, That's yeah. probably what did it. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. But uh, it just goes to show you, you can't predict it. No, you can't. You know, and Steve, you know, long-term investment success has depended more on the strength of the economy 
depending on which party occupies the White House during a particular four years. And, you know, the market has proven resilient time and time and time again. I mean, we can go back and look at history. And, again, it doesn't, you know, predict it exactly going forward. But you can start drawing some conclusions. I mean, long-term investors who began investing in any election year have generally come out ahead, I mean, regardless of who wins the White House. And after all, your time horizon is likely to be much longer than a four-year presidential term. And those who look beyond the headlines and they focus on these long-term goals and avoid trying to time the market, they've tended to reap the rewards in the long term. I mean, you know, that's true not just during elections, but really any time of the year. So bottom line is, you know, beliefs about which political party is best for any markets may encourage you to vote, but it shouldn't discourage you from investing. And I like the way that sums it up. So definitely get out there and vote. You know, but uh, from an investing standpoint, don't make decisions based on this election. No, I think elections are, are they don't really move the needle long term with uh, with the stock market. It's the economy. It's mm-hmm. earnings. As we've said many times. Stupid, right? Exactly. It's the economy. Who said that? Wasn't that Bush? Uh, that was way back there. Yeah, that was. I'm not sure if it was Bush or not. It might have been. I think it was during uh, it was during uh, Bush's reelection in yeah. '92. Maybe. Right. 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 Yeah, that came up. A little presidential trivia. There you go. <laughs> added bonus there this morning. Um, all right. Well, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, taxes a little bit. Steve, we're not CPAs, and so we always encourage our clients and listeners to go in and consult a CPA when you start talking about taxes. But we deal with taxes a lot, right? I mean, we want to try to avoid taxes and lower taxes, so we do get involved in these discussions and, and decisions. And so the question is, is my parents are older and they have stock that they've owned for a long time, and they have very large capital gains. So the stock they've held for 30-plus years, and they have significant capital gains, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they want to give you know, some of that to, to my wife and I. And so the question is, is how is that, ta- <clears throat> excuse me, how is that tax? Should that be done? And um, you know, if the parents are you know, really old and they're going to pass away. Yeah. Then they, bad sh- idea. yeah, they should not <laughs> gift that tax. Cause you're going to be taxed on that. You know, you have some, you know, if, if you're, there's something called a step up basis. When someone passes away, yeah, the sure. heirs will get a stepped up basis and they'll have no taxes on that at all. So it really depends on their health and there's some different strategies, but the step up basis today is a way to, to pass on, you know, and, and, avoid the taxes associated with it. Yeah, you need to be very careful giving away stock that has a very low basis, that has big gains built into it. Um, it does get a step up in your in your estate. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there are some other ways to avoid taxes on that. You could give it, you know, to charity, to your church. If, yep. you, if you tithe, you know, to your church, um, that's a great way. You can replace that money with... Uh, with with you know other money that uh, is, has no taxes has no taxes maybe just give them cash. Um, another thing you can do if you're in a real low tax bracket, which some elderly folks are, you can sell uh, a certain amount. If you're in a 15% federal income tax bracket, then the long-term capital gains rate is zero. Yeah, that's right. For the amount that's in that bracket. So let's say you only make fifty thousand dollars a year and and you can you potentially you can for a joint married couple you can make about ninety five thousand dollars a year adjusted gross income and take the standard deduction exemption mm-hmm. and be at the top of the fifteen percent bracket. So in that case, you know there might be forty 
$45,000 you could sell right. and pay zero federal income tax on it. So you might just sell some of it, you know, but you got to take a close look at your tax bracket, your kids' tax brackets. Um, you got to make a smart decision about taxes there to avoid that long-term capital gains because there's certainly some ways around it. There and are. Just passing it through your state Definitely. Is, is one way to do it. Yeah, so talk, talk with an advisor. Certainly consult a CPA as you go through that process. But, um, you know, trying to minimize what you pay Uncle Sam, there are ways to do that. Exactly. So great question of the week. All right, that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is storms and insurance. What is really covered? Um, well, you know, John, I mean, now that we are – we're in hurricane season here still. Um, there's one out there in the Pacific somewhere, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. And we've had one that couple, just hit the coast. One that just hit the coast here in uh, where we're at here in South Carolina and Georgia. And, uh, you know, winter's right around the corner. So it might be a good time to assess and think about what it might really cost you if you got hit with damage. You know, when bad weather causes costly damage to homes, people often get confused about what's covered by their insurance and what's not covered. So here are some of those answers to the most common questions about what's covered by your homeowner's policy. First of all, let's talk about winter storms. Question is, will insurance pay for repairs if a winter storm knocks out your power for days, shutting down your furnace, Making your pipes freeze and crack and maybe even, you know, causing your food to go bad mm-hmm. in, your, in your freezer. Yeah, so, you know, frozen pipe damage typically is covered, minus obviously the deductible. And uh, if you have done your best to avoid having your pipes, you know, freeze. So if you've done some proactive work. So what constitutes doing your best is subject to interpretation, obviously, by the insurance company. And it depends on whether you could reasonably predict the power would be out long enough to uh, to freeze the pipes, which typically tends to be two or three days. And, you know, if it's clear that that's the case, then you might be expected to take steps to avoid a freeze-up. So, for example, quickly winterizing the home's pipes by shutting off the water supply would be one step, maybe draining the pipes and appliances, putting a non-toxic antifreeze in all the drains, either on your own or if you maybe have to hire a plumber or have someone come in and do that for you. But being proactive will, will certainly help reduce the damage. And if you still have issues, um, you know, it, it might be covered. But, you know, if it's not clear that the power will be out that long, uh, you might not be expected to take such me- measures. But just being, if you're proactive in some of these cases and something still happens, then typically it will be covered. But if not, then you may be open. So frozen pipes, check, probably covered. Yeah. As long as you've kind of done the reasonable things mm-hmm. a person would do to try to prevent that. Yeah. Food in your freezer, I'm going to say probably not covered. Yeah. They don't talk about but it But if your here. pipes are frozen, then maybe the freezer <clears throat> yeah. okay. By the way, this article is a bottom line personal article um, recently out of bottom line personal. Uh, Robert Damore is the guy who authored this. So next question here, though. Will homeowners insurance cover water damage stemming from an ice dam on my roof? <laughs> now, this is not something here in Georgia we usually have to deal right. with. But some of you folks that are listening up north, uh, yeah, you might you might want to think about this. Or if you have a mountain house or something, hey, you may want to think about this. You never can tell. Um, you know, homeowners insurance will cover damage to the structure of the home due to ice damming, but not necessarily the contents of the home. You know, in a standard homeowner's policy, water damage to the contents of a home is covered, minus the deductible, only in specific named circumstances. <clears throat> and an ice dam, which can occur when, <laughs> yeah. occurs when water backs up on the roof, <clears throat> freezes on the roof, 
Um, and then you end up having water damage as it melts and it comes into your house. So that's you, really what that is. So if you have a cheap mattress, then you're probably okay. Cheap mattress, you're probably... That $129 yeah. mattress. You yeah, you're covered one. for that, right, John? <laughs> no, um, you know, that the the water damage is... Yeah, the is, contents inside. The contents inside is probably not going to be covered. Yeah, this is one of the circumstances that policies typically name that's not covered. Um, the water damage inside the home. The structural damage to your home, yes, mm-hmm. it is covered. So what do you do if you want coverage? You know, you buy an all-risk policy known as a super deluxe policy. It's available for just a few, from just a few insurers like Chubb um, Insurance and Fireman's Fund. So there's a few companies that offer those, but those policies tend to be extremely expensive. So, uh, you know, bottom line is, yeah, I mean, just try to prevent it from happening in the first place because it's not going to cover your contents. Just live in the South. Live in the South. That's a better (laughs) choice. I like that, John. All right, that leads up to the next one here, hurricanes and floods. Let's talk about that. What does it matter? It doesn't matter whether a storm is officially declared a hurricane. Believe it or not, it probably does, John. Mm. It might. Some policies have specific uh, hurricane deductibles that take effect when sustained hurricane force winds of 75 miles an hour or more are recorded at the nearest weather station. Those deductibles are higher than the standard policy deductibles. Typically, they're like 2 to 5%, so they can get pretty significant of your total coverage amount, so maybe 2 to 5%. So if a home is insured for, say, a half million dollars and it has a 5% hurricane deductible, for example, the homeowner has to pay first $25,000. That's a big number. Out of their pocket, yeah. So you might, you know, be better off if it's not a hurricane. Um, other policies have the name storm deductibles, so higher deductibles apply if a name storm enters the state, even if the storm has winds below hurricane speed. You know, worse still are policies that have wind storm deductibles, where higher deductibles apply if damage is caused by the wind. Um, Sandy, the superstorm uh, super that struck the Northeast <coughs> back in uh, late October, back in 2012, uh, it no longer had hurricane force winds when it reached shore. So the governor of New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and Maryland informed the insurance companies that they could not apply hurricane deductibles. Hmm. So they stood up for the homeowners. I thought that was good. Yeah, but name storm deductibles and wind storm deductibles still did apply. So. That's uh, you know, a tidbit for you there. You're better off if it's not a hurricane. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'll, this is all pretty detailed, so certainly reach out to your agent and, and talk about it because it is confusing. I mean, the next one is how does flood insurance coverage different from home, homeowners insurance coverage? And flood, flood insurance is issued um, by the federal government's National Flood Insurance Program, and it's, uh, and it's sold through insurance agents, and it's more restrictive than homeowners insurance. I mean, coverage for the home is capped at $250,000, which is not enough to replace a large home. Coverage for a home's contents is capped at 100000 So flood insurance does not cover, you know, things that are on the property uh, but not part of the home. So swimming pools aren't covered, fences, walkways. So it does give you, you know, decent coverage. But, you, you know, if you have you know, half a million dollar home, then you get, you got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of issues there. No, definitely. <clears throat> no doubt. That's, that's good. And then coverage for flood damage to basements is, is also very limited. 
um, structural elements and essential equipment such as furnaces, water heaters, circuit breaker boxes, those are all covered. But the furnishings in your basement, your possessions, your improvements such as flooring, those are not covered. Yeah, the way flood insurance defines basements can be confusing. You know, if a level of a home is even slightly sunken below level, um, the floor is, it's officially a basement, even if part of the living area, even if it's part of the living area of the home. But if the home is built on a hill and any part of the basement floor is even or above ground, then it's not considered a basement, even if it's unfurnished. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basements typically aren't covered. If your whole floor is anything below ground, then they're not going to cover your contents. It's going to be considered a basement. So keep that in mind. So, um, uh, you know, is there any way to get help repairing flood damage if you don't have flood insurance? There might be. There are grants and loans that might be available through FEMA, through the Federal Emergency Management Agency, if the government declares your area a disaster area. So if you're you're declared a disaster area, you Mm -hmm. probably can get some help even without insurance, but certainly insurance is by far the best way to yeah. be covered. Here's another inter- interesting, uh, you know, different, Steve. Homeowners insurance covers water dav- damage when high winds rip off a roof, allowing rain to, you know, enter your home. But what if heavy rains cause my home to flood? And, you know, this would only be covered by flood insurance. Homeowners insurance covers rain damage only when the damage is from rain falling from the sky. Once rainwater is uh, on or under the ground, it's considered flood water, even if it was just, you know, occurred a couple moments later. That's why it's really a good idea to buy flood insurance if your home is at the base of a hill, maybe in a valley. Uh, Even if you don't live near a body of water prone to flooding, you may want to consider that. Uh, Flood insurance is priced by zone. It's often very affordable for those who don't live uh, near a flood-prone, you know, body of water. So, uh, your house is probably okay. Yeah, I'm on a hill. I don't think I have to worry. <laughs> yeah, if know? it's flooding, we got some problems. <clears throat> yeah, we'll be in trouble here in Augusta <clears throat> if my house floods. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to pay attention to that. Um, <clears throat> wind is covered, but flood—that's a different story. So, flood insurance won't cover basement improvements, possessions kept in a basement, but it will cover damage to heating systems, water heaters, electrical boxes. So. Yeah, it gets a little complicated. It's kind of the bottom line. Does a homeowner's insurance cover basement flooding caused by sump pump failure? Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting question. You know, I mean, if you have a basement, you probably do have a sump pump. Standards policy doesn't cover it. It's kind of the bottom line. But most insurers do allow policyholders to add a sump pump coverage endorsement for as little as like 50 bucks a year for $10,000 of coverage. So if you have a basement and you have a sump pump, you probably want to look into getting a little sump pump endorsement, as they call it. Um, so if your sump pump stops working because of power failure, then uh, that endorsement should at least provide some coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one here that uh, probably affects more frequently than anything we've talked about is trees. There you, you go. Know, trees fall in it. That really impacts uh, everybody across the nation. So does homeowners insurance pay for tree removal when trees are down by storms? And, you know, Steve, if a tree falls on your home or some other covered property, such as your garage, shed, swimming pool, maybe fence, the policy will pay the cost of taking the tree off the home or covered property and re- and repairing the damage as well. Now, obviously, you have a deductible on that, but the policy 
will not necessarily pay for the full cost of chopping up the tree and hauling it away. Most policy limits coverage for this is about $500 per storm. Uh, sometimes it goes as high as $1,500. So you do have some coverage, but, you know, again, you may want to you may want to cut down some trees around your house. I know you've done that. Yeah, I took down a lot of trees last year yeah. um, for, for that very reason, because it was just encroaching on my house, dropping limbs on my house in the last ice storm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I cut down 32 trees. Of course, I live kind of out in the woods. So yes. That, that you know, there's lots more you trees still there. Just away from your house. No, exactly. It's got all the trees, you know, back, you know, 40 feet, 40, mm-hmm. 50 feet away from my house. So, um, yeah, so if a tree falls in your yard... Um, into your neighbor's home whose insurance pays for it will end with this your neighbor's insurance will pay for it Mm -hmm. okay unless the tree was obviously rotten or dead before it fell you know if the tree was in such bad shape that you should have noticed the problem they had it removed a court could find you liable for doing that and your insurance would have to pay in that that case and it's particularly likely if your neighbor had alerted you that the tree was you know in danger of falling before that so uh all right there you go that's the skinny on uh storms and insurance and and what's covered and what's not hopefully none of that will apply to us this winter that's right no ice storms no ice storms that's what we're rooting for here all right but we'll finish here with the prescription of the week yeah this um is pretty interesting uh came off of clark howard's website um steve you know uh i see people's cell phone bills you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars, depending on how many phones. Um, the prices are coming down drastically. I mean, you can save sixty to seventy-five percent on your monthly cell phone bills. The the big four um, uh, suppliers have discount brands. So AT and T has Cricket Wireless, uh, Sprint has Boost Mobile, T Mobile has Go Smart Mobile, and Verizon has something called Total Wireless. Huh. And it's through Walmart. And um, Steve, I looked at this and. Uh, we're going to look at it because we're we're yeah, with Verizon. Sure. Great yeah, coverage. Yeah, we are too. Great coverage. But they use the same towers. They use the same network. They the use the same network. network. Yep. And so oh. it's like thirty-five bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, and five gigabytes of data. So for a family, I mean, it can be. I think I saw. I went out and looked on the website. The website is totalwireless.com. It can be a hundred bucks a month for a family of four. Oh, wow. We're and versus $200. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're paying a lot more than that. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, to I'm going to check it out. We'll report back on this in a couple of weeks and kind of give an update on it. But check out TotalWireless.com. Verizon's very popular in this area. And uh, each one of the, the, the other ones have a discount brand as well using yeah. the same towers. Same TotalWireless.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as they give the same data, the data is good. The, da- and the, the data and then good. also the, the speed, you know, associated with it. All so. right. We got to try that out. TotalWireless.com. There you go. That's your money-saving tip for the day. And that does bring us to a close for this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week.